two telephone lines in here, and that helps when one goes dead. So we're not, for you people on the lines, uh, we're not trying to cut you out or anything. It's just the way it is. It's a society we live in. I, too, am uh, thinking a lot about all of us that are older and not feeling so great sometimes. I think winter, for me, has come. <laughs> uh, some of you probably think this is pretty good weather. When I walk outside, I think of my blood circulation is mainly in my core, and everything else freezes. <laughs> my hands, my feet, my legs, my mind. <laughs> That's one thing I miss, my mind. <laughs> As a human being, we uh, sometimes can get our feelings hurt. I a lot of times don't that's where my, I lose my mind you know I kind of think where is my mind there's some people that are very organized and very much look at everything they say and think about it and they get it down right um, I don't always do that uh, I know we're all different and we sometimes want each other to be the same but it's not easy to be that way. And so sometimes I might say something that offends somebody. It's not because I really mean. It's not in my intent. And I don't think in others it's not in their intent. Sometimes we, we just might make a, you know, we live a life and we might do something totally opposite from what you do. And... You say, well, why did that dummy do that? Well, I don't know. It's because I am a dummy, I guess. But it's not intentional. And so, as a human being, it's easy to hurt each other's feelings. And sometimes we get our feelings hurt and we impute motive. Maybe it's not there. The motive might not really be there. It's just that it's the way you live your life and the way I live my life and the way somebody else lives their life. That we've lived these lives for years and years, you know, like with me, three quarters of a century. With you, maybe less, some more. But we've lived these lives and now we come together and try to be a family and we want to be that family and we want to be close to each other but sometimes we just don't think that person just doesn't do it the way I do it so they're wrong well maybe not my wife always comes up with the idea you know there's more than one way to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich but we all want the sandwich made the same way I mean, look at one of my grandsons, and uh, we were there at their house, and uh, their mother fixed food one way, and my wife fixed it another way, and they didn't like it. <laughs> of course, as a parent, like raising eight children, you say, hey, I don't care whether you like it or not, I'm the boss, you do it my way. <laughs> You know, my daughter walking out and I was throwing up her hands. Yeah, that's what you did, Dad. <laughs> but you know you love everybody. 
But you do things because you live that way. And it might offend somebody whether you want to or not. So how do we do that? Well, you know, what's the problem here? In Proverbs 17, 17, it says, A friend loves at all times. So maybe we are friends and we love each other, but the way we love each other might be a little bit different. It might be just a shade off there. And it says a brother is born for adversity. And there, in, again, in Proverbs 18.24 says, A man that has friends must show himself friendly. That becomes a difficulty sometimes. Doesn't it? Have you ever found yourself in that case? That you want to have friends, but your personalities seem to collide. You butt heads. But you want to be friends. And so you have to learn that principle of being friendly. And bite the bullet sometimes, but that's hard to do. He goes on, and there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Well, Christ speaking to the apostles, didn't he say, I don't call you servants anymore, I call you friends. Because he wanted to be so close, and he wanted them to be so close to each other and to him, that he realized that he had to show them, I want to be your friend. I'm willing to bend over backward to help you. But there are difficulties in our life. We think one way, and we think somebody else should think some other way, or maybe we think that they ought to think like I think. But That doesn't always happen. So in Psalms 119, 165, we read, Great peace are they that love God's law, David speaking, and nothing shall offend them, but yet we can offend each other in actions, in speech, in the way we get along with each other. We can offend each other easily. But God says through David that we shouldn't be offended if we really love his law. And that's the bottom line, is to love that law. And so I got to thinking of working on this. We want peace. I love to live at peace with people. I love to have friends. I love to be able to talk and share my life with other people. But how can we have true peace without one of the main ingredients? That's love. If we don't have the love for God and the love for each other and love God's law, It's going to be difficult to obtain peace, isn't it? We've got to be willing to yield up everything we have. We want to have peace and live in unity. But how do we obtain it when we lack the bottom line of true love?
that becomes then a difficulty, doesn't it? James 3, verse 18. James 3, 18. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. So there's two ingredients. Love. Love for God. Outgoing love and for His law. And then sowing peace with righteousness. The way we live our life. And that is only comes by through the love of God. We know in John 3, 16 says, God sent not his son into this world. Or God sent... Let me go back there. Cause, see, I told you I got a mind. I, I wonder where it is sometimes. I know that by heart. John 17 is what I started quoting. 317. Three sixteen. For God so loved the world, and understand this, you gotta get this principle. God's love for what we have. God so loved the world that he was willing to give his only begotten Son, take that companion, that friend that he had. He loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whoso believed in him, their thoughts, their actions, they really believe and understand he is God, would not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the bottom line. That's what God wants to do, is to give us life, eternal life. And then in verse 17 he says, God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him will be saved. This is a goal he sets in front of us. And it should be our goal and purpose, shouldn't it? To do what God himself has already done. Is to put what God wants first and foremost. So what is godly love? In John 14, verse 15, says, If you love me. So Christ speaking to the disciples, speaking to the church, because we know the, the scriptures were written for the end time church. He says, If you love me, keep my commands, my commandments. Well, we know that in John 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And everything was created by Him. So we know that when God spoke to Moses and spoke to the people of Israel, it was the Lord that spoke. It was Christ who became Emmanuel, God with us. So he tells us we must keep his commands. In 15, John 15, verse 10, he says, If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love. So here he makes a commitment. You, me, humanity, must keep God's commands. He says, if you keep them. So he lets it that you don't have to. 
but then you're going to suffer for it. If you keep my commands, you shall abide in my love. So if we're walking and talking like Christ and doing Christ's work and Christ's will, then he's going to abide in his, we'll abide in his love, the same kind of love that he wants from us. Even as I kept my Father's commands and abide in his love. So he says, I follow God's law. That's why I have this love relationship, a loving relationship, the Father and the Son. And he wants that same loving relationship, him with us and us with us. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. So he wants us to be happy. He wants us to be joyful. He wants us to have peace and happiness. But we can only do that provided we walk like he wants us to walk in the same kind of love that he has. The same kind of love that John 3.16 says that God was willing to give up everything for us for all of mankind. So he's saying, if we want to be a part of what God's doing, we got to do the same and be in the same line. Proverbs seven, verse two and three. Here, Solomon was inspired to write, "Keep my commandments and live, and my law as the apple of your eye." Well. That's supposed to be the, you know, as an apple is a great big juicy apple and it's just full of sugar and it's just something you really desire. That's what we should be doing. We should have that same desire. He says, bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So that no matter where you go or what you do or how you think, you think of what God is and who God is. The good question comes down. It's happened time and time again. Maybe you've had it approached to you. I've had it thrown at me. Christ had it thrown to him. The question, a good question, an important question. What are God's laws? Do we give it a lot of thought? What are God's laws? Here in Luke 12, verse 28. Luke twelve twenty eight, because here is a scribe who coming to Christ wanting to know what is the law, what is the law. So he says in twenty eight, and one of the scribes came and having heard them reasoning together and perceiving that he had answered them well, the scribe asked Christ, which is the first commandment of all? Well, I don't know. What's the most important? Which is the first one? Where do I start? What do I do? Emmanuel said, The first of all the commandments is, quoting from Deuteronomy 6.4, Christ quoting Deuteronomy 6.4 said, Hear, O Israel, or hear church, hear humanity, hear, O Israel, the Lord is, our God is one Lord. 
That's what uh, is brought to us. So here we hear, the Lord our God is one Lord. Is he one in your life, in your way, in your thoughts and actions? Verse 30. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the first commandment. Everything about you. Now we've heard the paradigm before of having a glass. Is it half full of water or is it half empty? What God is asking, what Christ is saying there, is it's not a half full, it's not half empty. What he wants from us is a glass overflowing. Our love for our God has to be way above that. It has to be totally and completely full and flowing over. Now, in verse 31, is an important phase here. Notice the first four words, five words here. And the second is like the first. There's no difference in God's eyes. Yes, we are to love Him with our whole being, every ounce of energy, what we are. But He says the second is just like that. Namely this. You love your neighbor as yourself. How well do we love our neighbor? We know in Matthew 25, Christ points that down to the fact he says in Matthew 25, the way we treat each other is the way we treat him. So if we have a lack of love for each other, then we have a lack of love for for God. For Christ, for the Father. It is a street that is, this is the only way to go. Remember? The way to eternal life is a narrow path. But we're human. We're human in it. Sometimes human things pull us aside. And we impute motive when there is no motive. And yet God says, don't do that. I've got a little quote here. Let me see if I can find it. This quote was in a book. I wasn't able to find the book, but I did go online and find what I wanted to read there. This is from Richard Carlton's book. Don't sweat the small things. And everything small things. And sometimes we really sweat the small things. But one quote he had in there. If, however, you take a moment to observe how you actually feel immediately after you criticize someone, now think about this. Finding fault with another person You criticize the way they live their life. You find fault with what they do. I do that all the time. I don't like it. But he points it out. If you will stop and think immediately 
after you criticize someone, and you'll notice that you feel a little bit deflated and ashamed, almost like you're the one who has been attacked. Stop and think about that. I criticized somebody and didn't think, why did I do that? Why did I find fault? Why did I see that? Because they don't do it like I do? Because they're not thinking my thoughts? So he says, take a moment, and when you get done criticizing somebody, you find fault with them, stop and think. Ask yourself, why did I do that? And maybe it was not what I should have been doing, and so you feel then attacked. The reason this is true is that when we criticize, it's a statement to the world and to ourselves, I have a need to be critical. Is that right? Do you have a need to criticize somebody? Why? But we have that need. This is something we are usually not proud to admit, isn't it? We're not proud to admit that, hey, I'm a critic. I find fault with people. Well, if that's the case, how are we going to have peace? If we find fault with other people because they don't think, talk, act, like I do, well, you know, they don't have my education, or they don't have my experience, or they don't have my love. We can't have peace. We'll never achieve peace because we lack true, outgoing love. So the second command, he says, is like the first you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is none of the commandments greater than these two, he says. They are both equally valuable and important. Galatians 5.14 For all the laws fill up in one word, even this, you will love your neighbor as yourself. So we want to think, I want to have peace. But there's Nelson over there, and he just shotguns everything. Or he's like, like a man and a wife married. If the woman criticizes the husband everything he does, there's not going to be a happy, peaceful marriage. It just won't be there. I've lived those experiences, not between me and my wife, but between some of my children in the husband-wife relationship. When they find fault with each other, and before you know it, they fall apart. There is no peace. They're battling back and forth. And seen it so many times in this world, even in the church, where be surprised when you hear, you think so many times that the ministry should be the cream of the crop up here on the top and you do nothing wrong and you realize that they're finding fault with their mate. And they, before you know it, they split up. And who's at fault? Well, my, my, my mate is. 
because they don't love each other like themselves. No, they love themselves more than anybody else. <laughs> and so they can find fault with that. So he says here, you must love your neighbor as yourself. So if you have so much love for yourself, what does that mean? That you have that much love for your neighbor that it's with your body, all of you, your mind, your strength, every aspect of your life, you love your neighbor. You would be willing to give your life for them. Remember Moses? He came down from the mountain. They were totally gone from God. And Moses, and God said to Moses, get out of the way. I'm going to take these people out. There is no reason to keep them around. Now, I'm paraphrasing. But what did Moses do? He loved those people enough to tell the God, Christ, the Father in Christ, no, spare them, take my life. I will give up eternal life if you just spare them. Now that's something hard to take, isn't it? It's hard to go up there and say, this guy did me wrong. He kicked me, he pushed me in the face, he cut me down, he caught me to lose my job or whatever it was. He called me all kinds of bad names, but I'm going to give up my eternal life for him. That's really the kind of love that God's expecting from people. That's loving your neighbor as yourself, willing to give up everything for somebody else. Paul was the same way, the Apostle Paul. He told the Father, I would give up eternal life for my family if they could just be spared. It's hard to do. Which one of us be willing to give up a child? Might be difficult. In John 4, 1 John 4.21 says, This is the command, and this commandment we have from him, that we love God, the love God, uh, that he who loves God loves his brother. So, going back to Matthew 25 again, same thing. John is saying the same thing that Christ said in Matthew 25. If I love Christ, then I love you. There's no other way. We can't put somebody else down and say, I love God. Because Christ said in Matthew 25, if you do that, you're putting me down. You're judging me. You're judging the law. The law that says you love God and you love man. In John thirteen thirty five, by this shall all men know that you love that you are my disciples if you love one another. So Christ told that to the apostles. Hey, you want to love me? This is the way you do it. This is how you love me. By loving each other, 
and the world will then know that this group of people, they're so close together, they have so much contact with each other, so much concern for each other, that they must be God's children. We're supposed to be the salt and the light of the world. We're supposed to be those that the world can look at and and hate because we have this close relationship with each other and with the Father and with Christ. And when we obtain that, it's no wonder the world who thinks contrary to that will hate us. They hated Christ. They're going to hate you. It's going to happen that way. There are several examples I want to bring out here in in that kind of brotherly love. One is David and his love for Jonathan. David was a young man. My wife, doing the research, said that when David um, started reigning in Hebron, was it Hebron? He was only 22 and a half years old. So before that is when he and Jonathan, somewhere... 18, 19, somewhere in that area, he and David became, uh, David and Jonathan became very, very close friends. It says that David and Jonathan's love was like a piece of cloth woven together. They were that close. Jonathan was willing to give his life to David, even to the point that he allowed David to wear his royal clothing. That's the kind of love that he had. That's the kind of love that God would like from us. There shouldn't be anybody that we don't have that kind of close relationship to. I know it's impossible. We're human. And there are some people that we are closer to than others. But it doesn't mean that we love others less. We know that Christ had a very close relationship with John, the Apostle John. A very close relationship. But he still loved the others just as much. It's just that their personalities would blend together. And sometimes personalities are what separates people out. And we let that personality cause us to criticize and condemn each other when it's just personality. We're not the same. You know, you think of Star Wars and the Clone Wars. What it, why why'd they have some? They had tens of thousands or millions of these ten monsters that were all exactly alike. But God didn't create us, create us that way. We are different. And we can add to each other if we remember the scripture that says, iron sharpens iron. So, sometimes, yeah, I'm a hard-headed, iron-headed human being. And so are you. <laughs> so, but, if we recognize that you have something that you can give to me, and I recognize that you have something you, I, you can give to me, and you recognize I can give it back to you, then we can uh, have that close relationship. Because all of us have something different. Remember David's 
relationship he had with his sheep. You know, it's, maybe you think that's strange. But David loved his sheep. And when something came to destroy the sheep, David went out in front. He put his life on the line. And so he killed a bear and a lion to protect the sheep. There was another incident David had where he protected the nation of Israel. He put his life on the line for his creator and for the people. He walked out in that battle where the people were afraid. They were afraid of this giant who was threatening them and threatening their nation. But David looked at it as, God is my helper. God is my strength. God gave me these laws to follow. I love God. I trust God. He will protect me. And so the giant, Goliath, said to him, Am I a dog? Well, David could have said, Yeah, you're a dog, all right. No. He said, I came out to you in the name of the living God. And he, the living God, will deliver you into my hands. And so David cut his head off. But God directed the stone that knocked the big giant to the ground. And David, God delivered him to David. Now David stood it because he loved God and he loved his people. So it gets down to how much do we love God? Do we put a category between us? I love God this much, and I love my fellow people this much. But God says there's no difference in it. It's all the same. It has to be the same amount of love that you have for God that you have for other people. And sometimes it's difficult to achieve that. And God has through the centuries put tests in front of people. Abraham was tested that way, wasn't he? Abraham had two sons. Now, he might have made a mistake. God said, I'm going to give you a son, and that son I'm going to give everything to, and the world will be blessed through that son. Told that to Abraham. What son was that? Well, it was Isaac. But who would the world be blessed through? Christ, when he came. He's talking about a future time that he himself would give up as eternal, ever-living God and become a human being. So he's talking about himself when he talked to Abraham. Maybe Abraham didn't understand that all the way at that time. But that's what God was saying to Abraham. But Abraham or maybe Sarah, and Abraham being a man, you know, you know, sometimes we're willing to go whatever our wife wants us to do. So Sarah said, well, I can't have any kids. I'm ready to pass that wage. I mean, that part don't work anymore. Here's my, my maid. So Abraham said, oh, no, 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 I could do that. No, no, no. No, that wasn't Abraham's thoughts, you know. He was a man. 
have to think about it. So he had a son called him Ishmael. And Ishmael got to be 13 years old, or 14, or up in, the, in his teens. And God said to Abraham, you have to let your son go. That is a difficult task, I'm telling you. A very difficult task to say to your son, who you've put a lot of emphasis on. I mean, yeah, Ishmael was his first son, but it was Abraham's son. And he thought everything's going to come through Ishmael. But God said, you've got to get rid of him, because that's not the son I'm going to use. That was hard. I would find it very difficult to go to my oldest son and say, I'm sorry, you're no longer my son. You've got to get out. You've got to leave me. You've got to go away. You've got to, you just can't be around here. That's hard. I can think about that. Do I really love God enough to do that? To turn somebody aside? But Abraham did. It was a test. Maybe he failed the first test, and now here's the second test in that line. But he had to do it. And then he had another son. Well, at the time, he already was, Isaac was already a, a young man, a young child. And his life went on, and years come down, and Isaac was probably in his 20s. Could have been a little older, maybe a little less, I don't know. Nevertheless, God said to Abraham, Do you love me? How much do you love me? Take your son, put wood on his back for for a burnt sacrifice, take your son out, I'm going to show you where to go, and sacrifice him to me. Now, wait a minute. I've already got rid of one son. You asked me to get rid of another one? I mean, that's my thoughts would be. <laughs> it'd be tough, wouldn't it? It'd be tough. I think it'd be tough. I'd probably balk at that. But then, am I as close to God as Abraham was? He was the father of the faithful. He's our father we look back to. He's the one that we, God says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And my commandments are not grievous. They're always good. They're in love. And wasn't it interesting that Isaac carried the wood for his sacrifice on his back and many years later, when God that spoke to Abraham walked this earth as a human being and he too carried the wood on his back for a while. It was an interesting thing. Let's look at Christ's love for the church, what he's telling you and telling me, what he would like from us. You know, sometimes I, I don't know whether I can go in route or not. Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5. This is the kind of love that God wants from us. If we are to obtain peace, and that's what we're looking at, 
Peace can only come through true love. Ephesians 5, verse 25. Husbands, Christ says, love your wives. Because Christ is going to be a husband to those 144,000. They're going to be the bride. Christ speaking to the church, speaking to men. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. So here's a command. He says, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I expect you to do. To have this much love for each other as I have for you. So he says to husbands, love your wives and be willing to give your life for your wife as Christ was for the church. That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water of the word. So we have God's word on the Sabbath. We should have this word every day because remember, it says it must be the apple of your eye. It must be on your lips, on your fingers, on your... God's law, God's way of life must be so written on us that it is the way we live our life. But if we have controversy one with another, there are ways to resolve those things. Do we resolve them godly? Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Are we willing to give ourselves, like Paul, like Moses, like God, remember, God sacrificed Christ for us, for humans. I sent not my Son into the world to condemn the world, but through his sacrifice, the world would be saved. So he says, love the church. And he did that for the purpose of washing us with his word. That he might present it to himself, a glorious church. He is presenting the bride to himself. We're the bride. He's willing to go all the way for that bride. Not having spot or wrinkle, that's what he wants from the bride, or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So, the words of life are to take away the spots and the blemishes that we have and some of those blemishes are finding fault. Remember what I read there from uh, Richard uh, Carlson? Carlton? If we criticize and then stop and think, do, do I love to criticize people? Is that my goal and purpose, is to find fault with everybody? If you get to that point and sit down and think, wow... Maybe I'm not going to walk around with this big sign, I'm a critic. You know, you don't want to walk around with that sign, do you? It would make you ashamed. So God's word, Christ, says, Husbands, love your wives, that you can present them also without spot or wrinkle. 
so that uh, so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loves his wife loves himself. So God's saying, I love my future wife so much I will go all the way. And then we have to sit there and think, I love the bride of Christ so much, I will go all the way. Because Christ said, if I criticize my wife, I criticize Christ. If I criticize a brother or a sister, I criticize Christ. If I find fault, if I have hatred or whatever it is, if I would push them down, as do you remember Christ said, he expects us to do what? If we get slapped, turn the other cheek. It's the same principle, isn't it, as Matthew 25. If you get slapped, you turn the other cheek. If he tells you to go a mile, you go two. If he asks you for your coat, you give him your cloak also. You go all the way. So if we're going to have peace, we've got to go all the way. As Christ went. For no man, verse 29, ever yet hated his own flesh, but nursed and cherished it, even as Christ the Lord, Emmanuel, the church. Christ cherishes his bride. For we are, in thinking of this, we are members of his body. So he loves us because we are part of his body. And he wants peace inside the church, and we want peace then we have to remember that we're all of the same body of his flesh and of his bone. And for this cause shall a man leave his father and his mother, will go out and, what did he say in Revelation 18.4, come out of this world. That's our fatherly love that we've had. We're a part of this world. He said, come out of her. Leave Babylon. Leave this system of things. Come out of her and, and come to where I want you to be, my, my wife. For this cause, a man will leave his father and his mother and shall be joined to his wife and they too shall be one flesh. So throughout the scriptures, from Genesis through Revelation, the thoughts are marriage. The thoughts are, when a man marries a woman, they become one. One in thought, one in action, one in their way of life. They become one. That's Genesis through Revelation. It's the scriptures. It's what God wants. And unity only comes when we become at one. Unity and peace. And we're working on trying to become peaceful. This is a great mystery I speak concerning Christ and the church. He wants to marry 144,000 and he wants to have peace. And after the, the 
hellacious problems are going to come in the very near future when billions of people are going to die peace will then begin to come because Christ and the, and the church the bride and the father will be all on the same plane the same thoughts look at Christ when he was talking to Peter sometimes we don't want to give it a lot of thought but when Christ was talking to Peter Peter, in John 21 verse 15 so when they had all dined just after you know Christ had died resurrected he was spirit being Christ spoke to Peter and said Simon Peter son of Jonas love you me more than these do you really love me more than all of these people something to consider do we really love this person more than somebody else he said Simon said to him yes Lord you know that I love thee you Emmanuel said to him feed my lambs it's important to you and to me to realize you have a job to do and that's to love all these people feed them protect them just like a father with his children a father will go all out to protect his family to feed his family and so he said if you love me Peter you have to love my children you have to have that kind of love for them again a second time Emmanuel looked at Peter and said Peter Simon son of Jonas love you me question do you really really love me can we look at each other and say do you love me do you really really love me can we listen to what Christ said to us he speaks to you and to me he says do you love me Nelson or whoever your name is do you love me the second time he said to him that and Peter said to him yes Lord you know that I love you you really understand that I love you right do you do we really really love Christ is what he's saying how deep is that love you have for Christ feed my lambs feed my little ones take care of them be a a protector have that kind of love for them now Peter had already said I love you Lord twice I really love you but Christ was making an emphasis an important point to, to Simon 
So the third time he went to Simon and said, Jonas, loved you me? Now how do you take that? We hear sermons. Those sermons are, do I love God? Do I want to be a part of what he's doing? He's telling us to feed each other. Iron sharpening iron, isn't it? Being a part of that family. So Peter was pretty, you know, upset by this time. Third time he said, Do you love me, Peter? How many times does God have to ask us, Do we love you? Why aren't you at peace then? Why do you have so many difficulties with your brothers and sisters? Peter, do you love me? The third time, Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Love you me? Don't we get upset sometimes because we constantly hear, You have to make changes in your life. You have to listen to what God says throughout this whole book. Not to let one word fall to the ground. So Christ says to, to uh, Peter, Do you love me? He asked him three times. We hear this probably more than that, and so we get up there and say, I'm sick and tired of being told I've got to make changes in my life. Well, then change. <laughs> you won't be told to change. And that's what it comes down to. Christ says to us, Do you love me? Do you love your neighbor? Do you love your brothers and sisters? Do you love the head of Iraq or Iran or even this country? The president, the vice president, the uh, Congress. Now, we can find fault with those people pretty quick. But are we willing to give our life for them? Christ did. Yeah, I know that they're scoundrels. I know they don't tell the truth all the time. I know they camouflage things. But Christ said, you have to love them enough to be willing to die for them. And that's a daily process. It's a daily process. Do you love me, Christ said. Well, if you love me, then you will love your neighbor. Not only in the church, but you will love this world just as Moses did, you know. These people hated Moses from time to time. They even accused him of bringing him out of the desert to die. But it was God that brought them out. But we kind of overlook those things. We, were, we put that aside. No, it was this man that brought us out here. No, it was God. Do you love Christ, saying to us, like he did to Peter, do you really love me? Then be willing to give your life for the people. So he said it a third time, and Peter was pretty uptight. He was pretty upset. Because we asked him three times, and he said, you know I love you. You know that. Do I? Christ was saying, do I really know you love me? Sometimes we think we can say what we want to, but Christ points out the fact that you know them by their fruits. 
So you have to look at a person's life and see how he lives his life. Does the way he lives his life, is that the way he lives his life reflect who he really is? We know that a murderer thinks of murder and his fruits are murder. A thief steals, you can't trust him. And so the fruits of his life are stealing. So no matter what it is, it's the way we live our life. And so somebody can look into your life and say, hmm, I know who he is because this is the way he does things down his line. So Christ says, do you love him anyway? Do you still love that person anyhow? Are you loving them enough that you're willing to change your way of life to get them into the kingdom of God. And that's what it comes down to. We want peace. I mean, I'd like to have peace. I'd rather live in peace all the time than to butt heads with people. But I'm hard-headed enough that I'd rather butt heads sometimes <laughs> and not... And not uh, Try to find the solution in peace. But see, God loves everybody. His love is extended beyond anything we can grasp because we are human. And, you know, I might say something and don't give it thought, but God thinks about it. I might act one way and not, you know, I think it's okay. But to defend somebody, do I really love them? If I love them, I will begin to try to find a way to change it. I want to change my life enough that I will strive with my heart and mind and body to get peace on this earth, even if it means a, out of six billion people, Five point some billion people are going to die. But with God, you see, to us, death is the end. To God, it's just your sleep. How he does that? Beyond my capability. Beyond yours. We don't know how he does it, but he knows every person. He says he knows all the hair in your head. So somebody like me and Charles here, he doesn't have to worry too much about it. We don't have any hairs on our head anymore. But God remembers every human being. What is there? Have been maybe 65, 70, 45 billions of people? You don't have that many hairs on your head. And God remembers every one of them. Every one of them. And Christ was willing to go and hang on the stake or the tree, be totally, completely humiliated, because he was stripped naked and die for the worst person we can name me he did that for me he did that for you and so he says do you love me three times Peter just got aggravated (laughs) come on Christ you know I love you I'm here with you all the time 
I'm doing all these things you ask. I'm with you. But do you love me? Love my sheep. Love the sheep that are not of this fold, he said. Do we really want peace? How far am I willing to go to obtain peace? How far will I go? Will I go a half a glass? Maybe a three-quarter of a glass. Will I go up until the person looks me in the eye and says, I don't like you anymore. Okay, that's fine. I don't like you either. No. Do we go like Christ said? If they spit in your face, you turn the other side and let them spit again. Because you love them enough that you're willing to bend over backward to bring peace. And that means sacrifice. Love is so vast that we just really don't understand what God expects out of us. He says, He is love. He tells us that in 1 John, I am love. And if you love me, you will keep my commandments. My commandments are love. My way of life is love. I want to see peace, not only here in this little community, not only here in this county, in this state, in this country, but in the world. The only way that will come about is when God's love spreads around the world. When His family, His bride, and the world is able to see that close relationship between Christ and the bride and Christ and the Father and the bride and the Father. When the world sees that kind of love, then peace will come. But as long as we find fault, as long as we can see, you make a mistake, I don't make mistakes, then there won't be peace. We have to be willing to lay our life down the way Christ did, the way Moses did, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Paul, James, John, Peter. You know, where do we end this? We can go to we can go to Hebrews eleven. We have to be the kind of love that these people have. We have to have true, poured out love. And there's no no way that you won't have peace because you will look for peace. And it's those that look for peace of your righteousness, which is when you have God dwelling in you, will bring that peace. So, remember, every day, who you are. Remember that if I find fault with that person, who do I think I am? Who am I? 
that I judge my father's children. So, who are you? Do you really want peace? Do you really want love?